This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I'm your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by my co-hosts, who include, as ever, tablet editor-at-large, Liel Leibowitz. Hello to you. Erev Thanksgiving, Sameh. And you as well. Well, Erev Thanksgiving would be the Wednesday night, right? Yeah, so we're already, by the time this is aired, we are... We're Erev Black Friday, to be honest. Correct. Although, if you're listening, as one should, when it drops at midnight on Thursday and it's still dark out, I think it is Erev. Sorry, it was like the night before Thanksgiving. Erev, Erev Black Shabbos, Erev as, Black as we call Shabbos. it. Yeah. <laughs> and tablet deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. This week on the show, we are bringing you, in honor of Thanksgiving, that most foodie of holidays, three food-related segments to keep you entertained as you baste your turkey or simmer your cranberry sauce or stuff your maw with leftovers, as you may well be doing by now. We'll bring you an interview with returning Jew of the Week, Michael Twitty, who talks about his new book, Kosher Soul, The Faith and Food Journey of an African-American Jew. And then another Cook Like a Jew segment from producer Quinn Waller, who this time is learning to make challah with cookbook author and Food Network star and returning Jew, friend of the pod, Molly Yeh. And finally, an interview we did at our live show in West Orange, New Jersey with Shannon Sarna, who not only is the author of the cookbook Modern Jewish Comfort Food and is also a returning Jew of the Week, but is also one of the great half-Italian, half-Jewish celebrities, or as she calls herself, a pizza bagel. It's delicious. So delicious. But J. Crew, before we get to those guests, and we do want to get to those guests, we have some unfinished business to attend to. So many of you, hundreds of you, in fact, contributed to our donor drive this year. That makes it sound like we're, we're asking you for marrow or blood, but we weren't. We were just asking you for dollars. Although if you would wish to send those things, we accept that as well. Snail mail? Although we no longer accept crypto. <laughs> or or NFTs? For now, we're still accepting NFTs, yes. <laughs> so many of you gave to our donor drive and got entered in the raffle for the mystery box. Your contributions really helped keep this show growing. We, we hit our target. And now it is our time to get that fun stuff, those mystery boxes to you. We have winners and it is time to tell you, the chosen ones, who you are. We have randomly selected mystery box winners from all the donors who donated $100 and named a favorite host. So Stephanie, are we saying Taylor right now or is our Ticketmaster meltdown? Are we banning the Taylor from our podcast? No, until- we are still pro-Taylor. We believe it's not her fault, the Ticketmaster snafu. We are still, we're still at the point of the news cycle on this show where we were happy that Taylor Swift added tour dates for her Orthodox fans right. to go Non-Friday to. Before it became impossible for anyone to get tickets to her show. So that's I where I'm- I don't I'm, know. I think you should change your name in protest to Stephanie Bruce Springsteen Budnick. Well, I my initials are STB, so it's like stub, StubHub. My new car, the license plate starts with BH, so I just call it Baruch Hashem. I saw. That and because yeah. it's Connecticut, it's like BH and then it stops. It's and then not, it yeah. stops. Yeah, it's, it's a definite Baruch Hashem. Yeah. So Stephanie Taylor, Katy Perry, Debbie Lovato, Butnick. Yep. What did you put in your specially curated mystery box? So I had so much fun with this. I, I loved the assignment. And what I wanted to do was basically put together like beautiful and fun Judaica collection. My thought was that it, this could go to someone who might not have any Judaica at all and might want to sort of start their collection. It also might go to someone who has all sorts of things passed down from their family or things they've purchased, and now they'll have sort of some other options. And so I, I like that idea that it could sort of mm-hmm. find anyone. So what I did, my package is very bright, very bold, very fun. Is it a fun, flirty package? It's as pretty <laughs> flirty. As, as, it's as a flirty. fun, flirty fall. It's 30 <laughs> items flirty. It's 30 flirty and thriving Judaica. Um, so basically what we have is Via Maris is one of my favorite Judaica collections. We have their set of candlesticks. They, they look beautiful. And then these really, really fun neon dip dye candles that, that sit atop of it. Mm. And then also a beautiful mezuzah from Apolloy, which is another one of my favorite Judaica companies. It's founded by three really cool sisters. It's actually a, like a turquoise lucite mezuzah. No scroll in there. Mm. Um, no cloth. Because that put us, I think, over the, the limit. Whoever you give this to will inscribe their own cloth. They will take out their quills and Yeah. Their own and scroll. then, you know, one to continue the theme. So instead of like a kiddish cup, we decided to go with a Zabar's mug, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, for your sacrimonial. Is that the word? For, for your kiddish. For I, your I love the word sacrimonial. It's a combination of sacramental and ceremonial. 
Stephanie Bodnick, we're keeping all of that in and for your sacrimonial It's, it's a sacrimonial kiddush cup because it's actually a coffee mug from the Upper West Side, and you can drink your you can drink your coffee out of it in the morning. Um, complain that the locks is too expensive. Do whatever you got to do. So I'm that's that's my that's my package. It's a sacrimonial kiddush cup from Eretz Broadway. Exactly, true promised land. What what I, I gotta tell you, I am a little bit envious that I, I, know, I am not. That legally uh, allowed to bid on this package. <laughs> what, what an amazing package. Really kind of honors the practice of Judaism and, and as we say, Hidra Mitzvah, making the mitzvah a little bit more beautiful. Sure. Saying, like, if you got to do something, do it in style. Yes. Make it pretty. Make it count. I love it. Now, Liel Ben Yehuda Leibowitz, you love her mystery box, but I dare say that you would enjoy having mine as well. And I'm going to tell you what was in my mystery box. And then you tell me if you had to pick Stephanie's or mine. Which would you do? Okay. <laughs> My lucky winner is going to have the perfect holiday present curated by moi. I'm throwing in three of my favorite books. And look, if you don't like to read, just put them out and people will think that you're quirky and weird because the books are the unimprovably great B-list. I don't, I don't want to call her B-list. I think she's A-list. Celebrity memoir from the the queen of 90210, Jenny Garth. You had me a Jenny Garth. Kelly Taylor herself. Uh, it's her memoir. Leo, you remember the the trip that Unorthodox took to California where I read the memoir and then I passed it on to you to read on the plane back. I, which I which I then diligently <laughs> did. It now sits on my shelf and I'm very grateful also, for it. So uh, the great work, probably the greatest work of surf memoir ever, Barbarian Days from William Finnegan. And of course, harvested straight from eBay because it's out of print, but we found a, vi we scrounged up a vintage edition. Uh, the original Preppy Handbook by Lisa Birnbach from 1981 or 82. Also in honor of the, whoever gets this box will, will immediately become one of my Hasidim, will become a, a Kordoroivsker, one of the followers of the corduroy rav. And so we are including an unorthodox corduroy baseball hat. It's a, a baseball hat, a little floppy hat with the unorthodox logo on it in a nice medium whale corduroy, a gift card to spend at the friendlies of your choice. And if you don't live near a friendlies, but want to drive up to New England, I will take you to that friendlies. I love and that. And we will have a fishamajig or a fribble together. And to top it all off, because I am on the pro-Latka side of the perennial debate in which Liel is anti-Latka. Um, well, you're only pro-free Latka, to, to, <laughs> to be fair. We're also throwing in, for the warm glow and smell of Latkas, a very cool Latka-scented candle. So you can light your candle, put on your corduroy hat, and read your your Jenny Garth 90210 memoir uh, when you open up this box. Now, Liel... Surely that beats having all of this meaningful, sacrimonial Judaica from Stephanie. <laughs> I got to tell you, it's very strong. But I'm, I'm going to go out here and say probably not as strong as my box. Ooh. Originally, uh, the things I wanted to put in my box are not legal in, you know, 37 states. Uh, so you can't really ship them. Uh, around, uh, which you, you know, can't ship them or receive them. Correct. Right, right. Uh, with, with, without starting a file. We don't uh, with, want to land the Federal Bureau of Investigation. We don't, so don't want to land our that. listeners in jail. Correct. Uh, Not a classy move. This, by the way, rem reminds me that the greatest ever gift uh, I received from a listener of this here show, a gentleman who I won't mention by name, though I remember his name very well and cherish it and, and follow him on Facebook, uh, walked up to me after the show I won't say where, with a mason jar filled with brown liquid. I asked him, what is this? He said, uh, it's moonshine. I brewed it myself. And I said, thank you very much. And then as he was walking away, he said, well, be kind of careful. It's combustible. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. You just made it 30% more delicious. He said, I wouldn't but take that back you. on the plane with you. Right. <laughs> no, I did. But it was probably unwise. Kosher rot let, gut. Let me tell you. Uh, what is in my mystery box? Uh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? And it is not the head of Gwyneth Paltrow. Right. Mark, what's as, in as your Liel Libavox? We begin with a replica of my very beloved flask, which is shaped like a herring. It is a fish-shaped flask uh -huh. that could <laughs> hold the perfect amount. It's exactly 5.2 ounces, so it's exactly right for a stiff yeah. gin martini. Yeah. Uh, and it's silver and it's fishy and it's beautiful and it's Jewish and it's fantastic. Once you've had your martini, you're, you're not going to want to do that on an empty stomach. Uh, or maybe you are, but then you want to soak things up a little bit. So we are including a DIY hummus kit. Complete <laughs> with my 
secret recipe, tried and perfected over years, and not to be shared on the air, just, you know, the, the exclusive domain of one yeah, lucky listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are sending trini from Sum Foods, which I think is the best trini you could get in uh, the United States of America, or trina, if you're so inclined. Uh, are, I, here, I just want to put in a plug and say when we got the free stuff for them, because they are advertisers on our show, the chocolate trina is out of this. It's, it's I literally bought more trina at the at the, my butcher sells it from this. I bought more Zoom Tina this weekend. Out of the world. These, out of these, these, these guys are the best. In uh, the but also, yeah. because because we're that we're these people. I went to Kalustian's, my favorite spice shop in New York, and picked out the precisely correct varietal, I believe, species <laughs> of chickpeas. Uh, because you should really only have the best. And if you follow my recipe, you will have hummus. Just uh, like in the uh, Akko. But that's not all. Oh, my. But wait, there's more. Oh, my. Uh, because now that you've had your martini and had your hummus, of course, hummus comes with the pita. You're going to need to bench after this. You're going to need to say birkat amazon. You're going to need to bless Hashem. As one bounties. does. As one does. And so you will receive a bencher from my bar mitzvah. What? <laughs> How many of those do you have in your closet? I have four. Because I was going to say, I don't think you're giving away your last one. No, I have four. Enough and for every wow. one of your immediate family. Now, now the kids have to share. And now there are three. This is amazing. That, what are you going to do next year to That's, top that? God, I wish amazing. I could find. Next year, you're going to include a little piece of Hudson's foreskin. <laughs> 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 oh, my. Uh, On top of that all, oh you will receive God. a copy of this is real and you're totally unprepared, uh, which I still hold is one of the greatest. Alan Liu. One of the greatest books about Jewish spirituality written in the last 20 years. And a book that I read every year uh, in the month of Elul to prepare myself for the spiritual work uh, of, of the new year. And for your, for your visual pleasure, uh, because we can't let Stephanie have all, all, all the truth and beauty in the world, a complete set of bobbleheads of great Zionist leaders. <laughs> your Ben Gurion, your Menachem Begin, your Golda, your Herzl. If you will it, it is no dream on My, your Does the Moshe Dayan have an eye patch? Uh, the Moshe Dayan one has an eye patch. It is, it is the complete set, so you will not have to fight for it on eBay. That is my book. I was going to say mic drop, but given the fishy theme, I'm going to say pike drop. Oh, Mark, that was a pun. You like it? I'm learning. This is amazing. I love this. I really wish I could have found like the one remaining pair of bat mitzvah sweatpants from my my bat mitzvah to put in my mystery box. But you've really outdone us all, the bencher. Is there an extant video of your bat mitzvah party? And if so, I bet there's a VHS somewhere. Could, we, could, we, could you ask Howard and Elise to yes, find that for us? Yes, the best night of my life. I've never been so cool. I will that, totally. That would be amazing. The peak of my social life? Yeah. Anyway, the winner. Now, who gets these these mystery um, boxim, as we call them? Stephanie, who is your winner? The winner of my chic Judaica set is Marianne Cast. Marianne Cast. The winner of my highbrow Judaica library (laughs) featuring Jenny Garth, William Finnegan, and the preppy headbook is... Alexis, are you related to my high school classmate, Melanie Hamill? Alexis Hamill. We or are to so, Mark Hamill. Or, or, Luke Skywalker or to, to the less famous. Or to Luke Skywalker. <laughs> but probably to Melanie and her little sister, Jody Hamill. Alexis Hamill. So glad to have you in the J Crew. And Leah, who is your lucky the, winner? The, the person who will soon enjoy hummus, fishy martinis, Jewish spirituality, Zionist bobbleheads, and a Leibowitz bencher is the one <laughs> and only Stephen Pentelnik. Yeah. Now, here I have one halakhic question for you. To, to bench the full beer cot, you need three people after dinner, right? You need three people to stick around. Well, there, there are various. You could do a zimmin, you could do no zimmin, you could. Right. If you want to do with a zimmin, you need three. Isn't that right. the, the yes. teaching, right? If it's just you, you've, you've had some herring, you've had some trina, you've had your martini, but no one else is around that night, can you take two of the bobbleheads? Oh, sit them with yeah, you. That's a really good question. Start their heads a bobbling and bench the full beer cot with who's, them. Who's in the zimmin? If yeah. it's if if it's bacon and Ben Gurion, sure. Yeah. 
but then I don't know if it's like Ben Gurion and Golda. Shamir. Like, and are we counting really? Golda and your minion? <laughs> I'm, I'm counting Golda and everything. That's a, that's a trick question. Uh, she will be counted. Golda will be counted in every minion I ever So the, the fine print is that we will reach out to the three of you to get your address and we will ship these after Thanksgiving once we put the finishing touches on them. Sprinkled the last bit of sesame of on dust. them. Yes, exactly. Do <laughs> sesame seeds. Um, and we are so excited to get these out to you. Our first Jew of the week this week is returning JOTW Michael Twitty. He's a culinary and cultural historian and the creator of Afro Culinaria, the first blog devoted to African-American historic foodways. His new book is Kosher Soul, and we are thrilled to have him back on Unorthodox. Michael Twitty, welcome back to Unorthodox. Well, thank you so much for having me. It is so exciting because we are celebrating the publication of your newest book, Kosher Soul, The Faith and Food Journey of an African-American Jew. Tell us a little bit about the journey of this book, which tells your own faith and food journey. I've always wanted to do a trilogy of books. The Cooking Gene was book one, and that handled the issue of my African-American identity, Southern identity, but also drew in elements of my Jewish and queer identities as well. Uh, Kosher Soul focuses on the role that Jewish peoplehood plays a role in my life and my involvement in Jewish peoplehood through teaching and cooking. And then the third book in this trilogy will address the queer presence in the American kitchen, both as the people who have shaped the food experience in America, but also how food has shaped gay identity. So um, I put myself under the microscope each time. I hope that what comes out of it is positive. It's always vulnerable and compassionate and um, confessional. And Kosher Soul, I hope, which has taken me a while to get out, is really intense because also dredging up a lot of memories, some of which are bittersweet, some of which are sour, some of which are very positive. I mean, it reflects 15, 20 years of my life. And, you know, once you kind of lived it and step back and look back, it's a very intense process to go through. And the book literally starts with the phrase, why is this book different? Um, so could you tell us how the book is set up and also why this book is different? Yeah. So, like, I have to speak to two big audiences, if not more than those two audiences. And that is, you know, some people read this book. They're a person of African descent in America. Some people read this book as they're a person from the Jewish community. Some people read this book as the Venn diagram of the two. A lot of things that happen to you in your own life are important to document and pass on. But, you know, the anecdotal nature of, of our lives, you know, we don't really think of our, our days as chapters or dissertations. So one of the things that I did was I wanted to have sections called Misa, as in Baba Misa, and stories, you know, the stories we share with each other. And so despite one person on Goodreads being very crappy and complaining about, why did you spell it that way? There's no standard way to transliterate Yiddish. Ah. <laughs> By the way, that is like so annoying that that person is there. Yeah. You know, I don't think I don't hear the dog whistle of why is Yiddish in your mouth? Mm, that part. <laughs> like, I know what's, what's up with you. But moving on from that bitter bug, I think that, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do in the initial stage of this book, a friend of mine told me, I want you to write as if you're talking to me across a kitchen table. And so if you can imagine that, you know, we're doing mise en place, we're getting our vegetables ready, we're doing a cleaning things, getting things together, scrubbing and, and cutting and, all, and organizing things, that's the process. So that's, for me, that's so important that the book feel like a conversation. And that when you get to these little anecdotes, you feel as though they enhance the overall theme of the book. There are recipes in the book. There are interviews with people who are part of the two communities. And there are also chapters where I kind of reflect on my past. 
And that's a braid. It's like a hala. You know, the front of the book has four halot on it. And anyone who doesn't get it should get it from the, the cover that those four halot, one is blue and white, one is black, red, and green. Another is rainbow pride flag colors. Another one mixes all of them up together. With sprinkles, right? Yeah. So that's what my life <laughs> is like. It's black. That We couldn't do the, all the colors in the, in the different. So we did sprinkles to represent the rainbow. So um, that's what our lives are. They're braids. They're braids of disparate elements that are whole and together. And if they weren't whole, they, they wouldn't be the same. I love that. That's beautiful. And that really, I think, aptly describes this book, which is sort of the braided elements of your identity and what you bring to people as an educator in your day-to-day work, but also to readers. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. You write that the most imperative Jewish word to you is mishpucha. Will you tell us what that word means? Don't, we don't care how you spell it, by the way. Um, but tell us what that word means literally and then what it means to you. Family. Kinfolk. Fam. And peoplehood. So it's interesting that I've had a conversation the other day ago, and it was outside of the community. And <laughs> a lot of the banter was about observance and belief and covenants. That isn't what we are. We're people. Judaism is the religious civilization of the Jewish people. Judaism is not a religion. It's one part of us. Peoplehood and family are really central to being Jewish, to being Black, to being queer. So mishpucha, during, you know, during the Shoah, they would use the word amcho, the code word, meaning you want the people, you one of us. Mishpocha has its own sort of like connotation of extended family. Black people say, who you can folk? Where you can folk at? Who you can to? In gay community, code word for gay is, are they family? So there's a theme there, right? That essentially we're peoples based on familial connections that we create or have been created that we fall into. And I wanted the reader to get that sense that if you would all identify with these or more, that the reader and I are also family together. We appreciate being in your family, especially this time of year. Help us kosher solify our holiday or Thanksgiving tables. So my recipes in this book, some of them are the recipes from African Jewish communities. Some of them are inspired by those communities. Some of those recipes are from the other African-American Jews I interviewed for Kosher Soul. Some are the recipes that came from the communities in the Deep South where Black women and men cooked for Ashkenazi Jewish families and created a fusion cuisine of their own. And others are recipes from the Caribbean, Cape Verde, Latin America, and other spaces where there was a Jewish presence and where we know that those dishes were adopted by the local Jewish community. So that's kind of what kosher soul looks like there. It could be a, a dried mango hala. It could be my kosher soul rolls, which finally got published in something, which I made for Andrew Zimmerman many years ago. Pastrami collard green egg rolls. What? Yes. That sounds amazing. Yam kugel and um, Bon Appetit did a riff on my peach rice kugel that I did for um, this documentary that we did a couple of months ago. And... Um, Idina Menzel loved it. Say no more. That's all you need. Right. So they did apples and honey rice kugel, which we adopt the recipe for them. So that's only in Bon Appetit. But um, just to kind of like, it's a, it's a play with all these ingredients. When you have them, I mean, rice kugels go back to Lithuania to the 18th and 19th centuries, at least. But then again, there's a rice pudding tradition in the South. But then also, how do you flavor it? What do you put in it? How does it taste? I mean... Rice pudding is great, but like, how do you make it taste Southern? You know, that kind of thing, as opposed to just replacing an ingredient. You know, what kind of conversations do we have? One of the things I'm really proud of is documenting Natalie's Shitoa recipe. I'm an African-American of Ghanaian descent, but Natalie is um, half Ghanaian. He is um, the head of an Orthodox family in Maryland here. And he, you know, makes, you know, Shabbat meals where the Ghanaian sugar bread dough becomes the basis for his challah. So as you can pull it apart, he makes shitor. Shitor is the Ghanaian hot condiment that you use with all of your food. Um, although in Ghana, you make it with dried shrimp and crayfish and other things. So he can't do that. Doesn't always work. 
for the crossover. No, so he uses miso and other things, and it's approximate to what it should taste like. And those kind of things fascinate me. What does it mean to make Canadian luck that can go inside of a, a Senegalese or Ghanaian peanut soup? That kind of thing. It just helps us figure out who we are, really, and where we fit and what our tradition looks like. You call your kitchen Afro Ashkafardi. Will you tell our listeners what that means? Afro, African, African-American, African diaspora, African-Atlantic, Ashka, Ashkenazi, Fardi, Sephardic, Mizrahi. It's all the above mixed together. Rice has always been a big thing for me. So um, Sabzi is also a big thing in this house. You know, schmaltz, smoked turkey, a lot of hot pepper, a lot of chilies from the garden. I grow at least five or six different types of hot chilies. You know, they get dried and used throughout the year. A lot of okra. So it kind of gets all mixed up, I guess, and um, played with um, for the sake of the holidays and the yearly cycle. You know, I really do believe in Hitler Mitzvah. I believe in making food as a way of making the celebration, honoring God, beautiful, and honoring each other. It's the way I tell stories, whether it's African-American, Seder Plate, which I've talked about before, where I use certain symbols to express the duality of those journeys. Because the excess is, the excess is a gift to the world. The excess is something, you know, someone's used the phrase appropriate. I said, no, no, no. We always intended this to be a model for human liberation. And so all of that works together. You know, I have Kipote that um, one artist did that have, you know, figures from Black history like James Baldwin and Zora Neale Hurston. I have, you know, ritual objects from Ethiopia, Sierra Leone, from Ghana. All of that means something. It means that we have a place at the table. Of course, you know, I'm also someone who has a number of Sephardic rabbis. I have all the rabbis up on the walls. Sephardic rabbis, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, all that stuff. And I'm also someone who celebrates the vast well of wisdom contributed by contemporary women leaders in Judaism and rabbis and teachers. You know, I think it's extremely important to acknowledge that, to know that some of the greatest learning that has happened um, in our tradition has been because floodgates have been opened so that women can express themselves in a way they have never been able to in the history of our tradition. So all of that kind of like warms me and brings me into a space where I feel like I can be myself. You know, one of the things that I did when I first came here was that I put up the hot comb used by my mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother on the doorframe at an angle like a mezizah. So every time I go into the kitchen, which is where that was used, you know, it reminds me of that sort of like bridge between these two parts of myself, that my Black cultural experience to me is sacred, and my membership with the Jewish people is sacred, and that I have responsibilities to both. That is beautiful and inspiring, and I think it's inspiring to all of us across all the cultures that we all come from. Um, I think that's really, really beautiful. And I just I want to thank you for this book, Kosher Soul, The Faith and Food Journey of an African-American Jew, because I think it's the perfect book for all of us to start 5783 out with. Amen. Amen. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J. Crew! it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. 
And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag uo member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Quinn Waller is our associate producer and a recent convert to Judaism. Food has been a huge part of her Jewish journey. And she's been doing this amazing recurring segment called Cook Like a Jew. You might remember her stories making chicken soup with our producer, Josh Cross, or hummus with me. But this week, she has upped her game to the nth degree she's learning to make challah, the holy grail, to use a very Jewish metaphor, with the one and the only cookbook author, blogger, Food Network star, friend of this show, Molier. Have a listen. Um, do you know about the Blue Zones? No. It's these communities around the world where there are the highest amount of centenarians. Is that people who have lived over 100? Mm-hmm. One of the communities, I think in the Mediterranean, they bake bread almost every day and they do it by hand. And he thinks that the gentle physical activity of kneading bread every day helps them live to 100. My name is Quinn and I'm a producer on Unorthodox. I converted to Judaism in August and I'm 23. I want 77 more years of being Jewish and I'm gonna get there by making challah. You might have heard me on here before, learning to make chicken soup or hummus. Learning to cook Jewish dishes has been a big part of my Jewish journey. I love to cook, but since I didn't convert for marriage, I have no Jewish mother-in-law to teach me her recipes. This segment is where I turn to the people around me to help me cook like a Jew. The first challah I ever made was for Rosh Hashanah 2021, before I started my conversion journey and before I worked at Unorthodox. I knew I wanted to be Jewish, but I hadn't taken any actual steps toward making that a reality. I knew that Jews made round challah for Rosh Hashanah and I wanted to be a Jew, so I tried to make it. And it was bad. The braids lost their definition, the dough spread out, and it looked like I had made a cow patty out of dough. I'm not gonna lie. It was emotionally rough. You want to be a Jew and you can't even make a good loaf of challah? That's my internal monologue. It was so disappointing that it threw me off of baking challah until Hanukkah. In December, I was at home in Ohio for Christmas and felt the need to be aggressively demonstrative about my future Jewiness to my family. This time, I turned to Molly Ye's challah recipe, and it worked. Since then, though I've dabbled with other hollas, Molly's is the one that I've come back to because I know it consistently works. So this year, around Rosh Hashanah, I called up Molly and asked her to bake with me. Hello! (laughs) Hi! I feel like I know you. (laughs) If you've never heard of Molly Ye, you need to get with the times. She's a cookbook author and blogger and also the host of the Food Network show Girl Meets Farm. You might have also heard her here on Unorthodox, since she's a friend of the show and has been on a bunch of times. She lives in North Dakota, where her husband is a fifth-generation beet farmer, and they own a restaurant called Bernie's. Her latest cookbook is called Home is Where the Eggs Are, which is where the challah recipe that we're using comes from. Her recipes are delicious and homey and approachable, 
kind of like Molly herself, who's one of the friendliest people I've ever met. We set up shop at producer Josh Cross's apartment, since he has a bigger kitchen than I do, and got to work. We're using Molly's potato holla recipe, which can be found in Home is Where the Eggs Are. I call it the special secret ingredient is potato mm-hmm. flour, um, which is amazing, particularly in holla, because it holds a lot of moisture. The inspiration for this holla came from the potato bread of Molly's Midwestern youth. Okay, so potato bread. I feel like it was kind of big in the 90s, right? Potato, like the loaves of potato bread. It reminded me of childhood when I started making potato challah. Originally, Molly made potato challah by adding literal mashed potatoes to the challah dough. This was something that had never even crossed my mind as a possibility, but it makes sense considering how starchy potatoes are. Depending on what kind of potato it was, depending on how long it boiled, if it was holding too much moisture or not enough moisture, there were a lot of factors that were Um, changing every time I would make it. And also it was just a lot more labor intensive because peeling potatoes is the worst. So she started using potato flour instead. It yields a fluffier texture, a puffier texture, and it holds more moisture. So I find that this challah actually stays fresh a little bit longer than challahs without potato flour. You can try this in any challah recipe by just subbing anywhere from a fourth to a half of a cup of potato flour for regular flour. It really makes a loaf much fluffier. Science time. Potatoes are rich in potassium, which causes yeast to rise much faster. So including potato flour in a challah dough gives you a quicker, bigger rise. Potato starch is also able to hold more moisture than regular flour, which makes a loaf last longer. However, potato starch also inhibits the development of the almighty gluten proteins, which form chains that get stronger and stronger the more you knead your dough. This is the key to a stringy, pull-apartable challah. To allow for these gluten chains to be really strong, Molly uses bread flour, which has a higher protein content than all-purpose flour. You could use all-purpose flour for this and still use the potato flour, but it would just be a tiny bit denser and less chewy. So we did our mixing and our kneading and our braiding, and we decorated the loaves with every single type of topping that can be found in Josh Cross's kitchen, including, but not limited to, sesame, nigella, cumin, caraway, and za'atar. You can always add a lot more seeds than you think you're gonna want, because then when it puffs up, the seeds spread apart, Mm -hmm. and then you have an even distribution. Where where should the next nigella seeds go? Here? Yeah. Here? This is like glitter art. While the challah was baking, we talked about Shabbat. Challah is great because you can do it every single week. (laughs) (laughs) And it's such a great tradition that happens week after week. And it's delicious. I think you can never get sick of challah. And if you make one loaf or one batch one week that you're not happy with, make another batch the next week. It's not like Mm -hmm. if you... I don't know, screw up the honey cake. You have to wait until next year to do it again. And also the smell is the perfect way to, I think, end a work week and then go into Shabbat. And all of the happiness associated and all the joy associated with the smell. Smell is so powerful with experience and with memory and everything that having that week after week is... So nice. Except, here's the thing. I don't actually have joy associated with a smell of challah baking. I mean, obviously it smells great, but I don't have a visceral reaction to it. I don't have memories of challah baking every Friday. Sometimes it can be really hard to not have been Jewish growing up. It's hard to create traditions for yourself, and it's hard to actively work to create and maintain community. It's hard to do this at 23 in New York City in a post-COVID world. There was a girl in my conversion class who was around my age and who also wasn't getting married. 
We were in the same class for six months, and for some reason, we never spoke to each other. I thought about this for months afterwards, and then I saw her at Yom Kippur services, and I still didn't talk to her. I'm not even that shy of a person, but somehow there's a sense of walls being up. Um, excuse me, sorry to bother you, but do you want to form a deep soul connection and bond over our shared commitment to God and the Jewish people? It can feel a little cringe. Although, if any of you are based in New York City and you see me at shul, please come up to me and say exactly that, and I promise we'll be BFFs. There's also the question of how to religiously present. I didn't grow up religious, and on the one hand, I have to actively work to not judge myself for being religious now. I have this elbow jerk ick factor with myself, where I have to convince myself that I'm not anti-intellectual because I believe in God, or a try-hard for not eating pork. On the other hand, I also feel like apologizing for not being religious enough. Like, if I've made the decision to become Jewish, then why am I not going all the way toward complete orthodox observance? All this to say, I'm clearly not the most comfortable in myself and my Jewishness. Yet. It would be easy to chalk it up to being 23 and to say that I'll get more comfortable the longer I do this. And honestly, I bet a lot of it is because I'm 23 and I bet I will get more comfortable the longer I do this. But I can't just wait for time to do the work. I have to do the work to create a community. And I can't just do it one time. I have to do it consistently. And like making challah, it will get easier over time. I still haven't figured out the recipe to walk up to cool strangers at shul and ask to be friends, but I think that's more homemade sourdough levels of difficulty than it is challah. But I started this week. Hello. Shabbat shalom. (laughs) I had a Shabbat dinner. I made challah. I invited friends and friends of friends, some Jewish and some not. And we dug into the challah. Together. interviewed Shannon Sarna at our recent live show in West Orange, New Jersey. This is the second time we've had her on the show and it was so much fun. Here's Shannon Sarna talking to us about her brand new cookbook, Modern Jewish Comfort Food. This is so exciting. Shannon Sarna is the founding editor of The Nosher, the widest reaching website dedicated to Jewish food. Your grandfather was a food chemist who patented Tang. Is this true? Wow. I can't believe I'm seated next to Tang royalty. It's really hard to walk down the street, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard being you. It is. You carry it with such grace. Thank you. I appreciate that. Cookbook author, food writer, Paula Baker extraordinaire, Shannon Sarna. Thanks, guys. So I have a question. When you began in the world of putting your your Jewish food recipes and writing out there, did you want to get big? Did I want to get big? Did you want how? I had no effing idea what I was doing when I started the Nosher almost 11 years ago. So I don't think it was like, I'm going to start a blog and this is going to be big. For me, uh, blogging was really a writing exercise when I was a communications manager for a philanthropist and trying to work on my writing. And I felt really lucky when my Jewish learning was like, hey, we see you're blogging. Do you want to come do it for us? And I was like, well, I'm doing it for free, so getting paid sounds better. And that was really how how I started. Um, And then I felt like as a child of an interfaith marriage, I had an interesting and important story to tell. And and food was a meaningful vehicle to do that. So that was my other question, right? As a half Sicilian, half Jewish American. Pizza bagel is our preferred term. Pizza bagel. (laughs) Was it a little odd getting pulled into into the Jewish space as thorough? I mean, now you're you're such a head Jew. You're such a macher. 
And, you know- I do feel that way, yeah. It's, yeah, I know, I know. And I mean, and already you were Tang royalty. So it only got bigger from there. I think, you know, people know the last 20 years of me now, right? But like people don't know the Shannon who grew up in upstate with a mother who was cooking Italian food all the time and uh, like who was an organist at church, right? So I think that for me, it, it feels like an honor and it feels like a really important job that I have to be able to showcase to Jews of all kinds of backgrounds. Like, look, I'm here and you can do it. And there's a place for everybody and their food and their stories in the Jewish community. I want to get back to that pizza bagel thing. When you've been on the show before, you you proudly identify as, as a pizza bagel. And since then, we've actually heard from a lot of people who have written in with their own sort of half this, half that. But they all have to do with food yeah. in a way that doesn't make any sense. Someone um, who was, I think, Jusaka, who was that, was that Greek and Jewish? Right, yep. Um, there was Juvlaki. So, yeah, like, like known as a Juvlaki. Juvlaki, yeah, like everyone writes in and says, you know, I'm a, um, wait, what was it? Like a shepherd's high, like, like everything. <laughs> and we said like, no one asked that these be food based, but they all are. And it gets me thinking that food is so much, I imagine a way that you sort of navigated, combined, intertwined these two parts of your identity at home. I think that food speaks to everybody, right? Like you don't need to speak Hebrew or walk into a synagogue to go to a deli and enjoy an amazing pastrami sandwich or go eat shakshuka. It's a, an, an equalizer, right? It's a door opener. Sometimes it's used in sort of like a derogatory term, like a lox and bagel Jew. But I actually think that it's the easiest entry point and everybody loves food. So it's a great way to connect that. And for me, certainly, like, I didn't grow up speaking Hebrew, but I grew up going to my grandmother's holiday table and going to the Deli in Queens with my family. So that was some of my earliest memories of my Jewish identity was through food. Now, your first book is an amazing baking book, hence the greatest challah recipe ever. And I noticed that when COVID-19 hit, uh, everyone, myself included, uh, was all of a sudden into, you know, sourdough starters and all kinds of, of baking things. So rough estimate here. How many challahs would you say you've braided since March, 2020? I think actually, first of all, I mean, lots of bad stuff about COVID, but however, for me as author of Modern Jewish Baker, fantastic, right? This was the moment I've been waiting for when people would finally embrace carbs and they were like, we're home baking banana bread and sourdough. Like I've been waiting this for years. Look, my I'm wearing my, my carbs bracelet. I'm fully <laughs> embraced. Um, but as like a mom of three kids, I wasn't doing so much braiding. More since 2022 than, than during COVID lockdown, for sure. I was kind of surprised though to see that the current book is a comfort food book because I don't know, I, I'm uh, an all right cook, but a horrible baker. I've always kind of associated these two crafts with two completely different personality types. I mean, the bakers, the bakers always seem so strict, yeah, because all the measures, they have to be very precise to put in the oven. And yet the uh, cooking, especially comfort cooking, is all like, hey, man, it's great. Stick some cheese in it and it'll be fine. Does that require, first of all, am I totally insane? And second of all, does that require like a mind shift or like, okay, now I'm actually going to just let loose and cook fun food? I feel like it's, I don't even need to answer the first one. We all are clearly That's, aware of the answer. First of all, I think baking is maybe sometimes less precise than you think. Because I always talk about people like you need to feel your dough. You need to be very comfortable with your dough and know what it's supposed to feel like because humidity changes and altitude changes. And sometimes you're working in a different kitchen and you need to know what your dough needs to feel like, even if, it, you know, sometimes things Okay, change. I hate to put you on the spot, but but please, what does your dough need to feel like? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get too personal but here. But seriously, like, I'm, I'm so interested because like, it seems to me as, as, a, as a, you know, sort of a writer, uh, that there are two things that you can't really write about well ever. The first is sex and the second is food. So I'm really interested to hear you describe the feeling of this dough. I don't think I've ever seen Shannon Sarna speechless. <laughs> but it happened here yeah, tonight. I hear that a lot. Um, it did happen. Okay, what is your dose? But just don't ask me what your matzo balls are supposed to feel like. Um, your challah dough should be, I really, I'm, I'm only thinking dirty things now. Um, it should. These are adults in the room. I I know I know. I'm looking at my my friends right now. <laughs> it should bounce back a little bit. It should be shiny and elastic. It should be a little soft and supple, and um, it should have a smooth exterior. Does that help? 
You just described Kim Kardashian, but yes. Elegantly turned, elegantly turned. So let's talk about this. Modern Jewish comfort food, how did you decide that that was what you wanted your second book to be, having established yourself at, you know, in the world of baking, in the world of Jewish food? Why comfort food and why now? Because my editor told me to. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Um, no, no, no. I mean, the idea was to do... You know, we've interviewed dozens, if not hundreds of writers. And usually we can say as writers, that usually is the answer. My editor said I'd get a big advance for this. Like <laughs> I get twice as much money, more people are interested in pastrami than baking. And they all lie. They all say, well, I was, you know, on a walk one day and my soul called out and you told us the truth. Yeah. yeah that it's yeah. a business decision. I know. I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible liar. No, no uh, that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for your candor. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, look, I think, first of all, I'm an editor, you know, that's my full-time job and I'm an audience driven editor. So I listen a lot to what people share with me. And what I heard from people about Modern Jewish Baker was that the step-by-step visuals and the other kinds of cues that I presented in that book gave them the confidence to feel like they could tackle these projects that they might've otherwise never done or were too intimidated to do, right? So that was kind of my key takeaway from Modern Jewish Baker. And that was what me and my editor wanted to translate into savory foods for Modern Jewish comfort food. I think the hardest part about Modern Jewish comfort food was that there are so very many So boiling it down to 100 recipes or less in one book and doing it with uh, three kids, a full-time job in the middle of a pandemic, all within a nine-month period was like a little bit of a challenge. Um, Was there one famous one that he said, like, I don't fucking care how much, you know, people love X. Like, I'm just not going to put a recipe for it because I hate it. What comfort Jewish food do you hate? Um, what comfort food do I hate? I, I, I hate lots. Oh, okay, okay, fine. I'll tell. I'll tell you the the, the recipe. This is a great question. So everyone's like, "What's your favorite recipe in the book?" It's like I, I, there's a lot of favorite ones, but I'll tell you my least favorite recipe. But I still included it was stuffed peppers. It's like Israeli style stuffed peppers. I hate cooked peppers. I think they taste huh. disgusting. But I still included it. Yeah. Sorry, I hope I didn't offend anybody by stuffed peppers. The stuffed um, pepper people are going to yeah, come for you afterwards. I know. Yeah. Big pepper. They're, the big juice big comes pepper lobby, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. my question is, because my kids disagree on this, how many, how many um, strands can you braid? Like, when is it too many? So what's the, what's the secret number? I think the secret number is four or six. I think that's the best loaf of challah that you're going to get because of the way that it stacks up on itself and rises up instead of out. That's my, that's my professional opinion. What are some of the things you see most often going wrong when people make challah? Oh my God, easy. Okay, first of all, too much flour. Number one problem. People are like, they think that the dough needs more and more flour to be less sticky. Less flour is more. Number two, we're using the wrong flour. Use a good quality flour. Don't buy the one on sale. People don't let it rise long enough. Bread flour or normal? Oh, bread flour. Bread yeah. flour, okay. I mean, look, if you want to do it right, use bread flour. You want to do whatever you want. So you want to be an asshole, use any flour. Yeah, exactly. but you want to, Okay, sure, I got you. <laughs> Um, people don't do a second rise. That's really, really important. Like you can't skim steps here. You want to do it the right way. So you make the dough, let it rise, braid it, rise again, and then bake it. And use my recipe, obviously. Yeah. I, I do. Always. Seriously. Uh, you know, almost every Shabbat, they're amazing. Um, I'm honored. They're fantastic. But but this leads me right next to my, my next question. I, I am a sucker for cookbooks. I buy a lot of them. Uh, so I'm completely the audience and I've bought yours too. But it seems to me that so many of the books that we see today, because chefs have become these, you know, mysterious kind of dark rock star objects, you know, Anthony Bourdain, you know, world weary philosophers. It seems to me that the books have traveled a similar directions. Like so many of them have to be sophisticated and complicated and worldwide. And, and your books, while the food is amazing, they're just a joy. Like, do you ever stop and reflect? Like I would like, I wish I could do this sort of, big celebrity chef thing or do you disdain it? What's your attitude towards this world? I think it's interesting to grow up in a generation where like chefs have become really like these rock stars, right? Or like they're really, really celebrities. Like I have very fond memories of watching the Food Network with my dad growing up and him like schlepping us around to go meet Mario Batali at his restaurant in New York and stuff like that. So I I think it's sort of interesting. I, I think that we like to like talk about and give awards to books that are very lofty, but I've always wanted to create recipes and write books with recipes that people would actually make. 
And that's just who I am. And so that's what I'm trying to put out into the food world, right? Of like, people are going to make something over and over again because it works. I like those kinds of recipes myself. No offense to chefs. I love their restaurants. Sometimes chefs are not the best recipe writers, which is why they hire other people to do it. But that seems to be so fundamentally true about Jewish food, right? It's not, the recipes are fairly straightforward. You can sort of dress them up, but the idea of Jewish comfort food, it just is like, oh yeah, of course, that is what so much of Jewish food is, right? It's comfort food. It's it's straightforward in that way. And I think one of the common threads that I found throughout as I was sort of researching some of the recipes and also my own Italian background was that a common thread is about how frugality influenced and created these recipes. You know, like if you think about chalent, you think about kreplach, meatballs, like all of shakshuka, also like people using what they had available and stretching it into a, a nourishing meal that would feed a family, you know? And I thought there was something really beautiful about the way all of these dishes told, told that story in various ways. So if we had like a draft type situation, and you could trade one classic Jewish food away and get one other food from a different ethnic group? That's, I mean, that's a, a hard question. Well, you'd, st- you'd trade away the stuffed peppers because sure, you don't sure. like stuffed peppers. All right, but also like, there, you know, there's some there's some Jewish, okay, pacha, right? I think we can get okay. rid of pacha. How Nobody dare you? Nobody eats pacha. What? Wait, 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 this comes Have up before. Have we met? Jelly calves hooves? Hello. You eat pacha? Fuck yeah. Fine, that's you. Yeah, I know. You, but Mr. you do it Mr. just to like be a contrarian. Yeah, that's also true. Does anyone else in this room raise your hand if you regularly well, more friends. than once every five years you eat pacha? But how about this? Thank what you. about your parents or grandparents? Really? I think this is like a, a nostalgia thing. Jesse that's Cohen. Jesse Cohen knows what I'm talking my about. My grandpa ate shav, but not pacha. I mean, that's really a. My, my father in law lovingly talks about his mother's pacha which really doesn't sound right coming out, but you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, David. <laughs> so you are an amazing Jew of the week and you're, this is your second time or third? This is my second time. I thought maybe, was it, was it something I said five years yeah, ago? You you know? We were waiting to come to you. We forgot to give you a Jew of the week certificate last time. And so we have it to present to you. Oh, thank you. Time. I feel very special. Shannon Sarna, thank you for coming all the way to West Orange and being our Jew of the week. Hey friends, the Mazel Tovs this week come to you from our live show in Wilmington, Delaware, where all sorts of blue hens and Mr. Celery's and other bearers of Delaware pride turned out to give us a Delaware style Jewish welcome. Here are their Mazel Tovs. I am still Russ Silbergleed, and my Mazel Tovs are to Jamie and Evan Silbergleed, my niece and nephew, on their B'nai Mitzvah this weekend. Aww. Mazel Tov. My name is Celia Morris, and I want to give a mazel tov to Sarah Baker Andrus, because if it weren't for her and you guys, I would never have felt as welcome in Delaware. I moved here four months ago. I heard you talking about Wilmington, and previously I'd paid no attention at all. Um, But since I knew I was moving here, I sort of wrote on the Facebook page, can anybody help me move here? And Sarah reached out and um, introduced me to the Jewish community. And it's absolutely That's wonderful. Amazing. Wow. Celia, welcome. Fantastic. We are a full service podcast. Wow. That's amazing. That's what a community. Made our night. My name is Jackie Harrod. Um, I know a lot of people here, but the Mazel Tov I want to do. My husband, Gary. Gary Harrod is probably the most the kindest man, he, he sometimes just amazes me ha- at how he can be there. Because I always say that he is the good one in the family and I'm the bitch. <laughs> but he is truly, truly a good man. Gary, so, raise your hand. Mazel tov, Gary. Gary! Yeah! Andrea Feinstrauss. So today my Mazel Tov is my granddaughter's 18-month birthday. And she's had uh, a virus, and I've had to have her all week. What's her name? Anya. Anya. Great name. We hope she feels better. Thank you. We love her. I'm Jerome Nackless. So the first one is to my mom, Beverly Nackless. She's officially cancer-free now for three weeks. Yeah. Major shout out. Fabulous. And the second one 
is to our Jewish community professionals and leaders and lay leaders here in the Delaware that make this Jewish community the not only the number one in the first state, the number one for your new program, but the number one across all 50 states. Alicia Kaplan. Hello. I'm so excited to meet, like, meet you guys in person. Um, Great scarf. You look yeah. amazing. Thank you. Scarf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I should show you what is under Oh, my all. God. You're wearing a <laughs> shirt with our names on it. Hold on. Let me take a picture. My Mazel Tov is for my son, Sam, who is probably the youngest person in the audience tonight. He's here. He is here. He's over there. He, he's very tall, but he's not sitting high right now. He's so embarrassed. <laughs> My mazel tov is to him for a great first uh, quarter at school and, and really to thank him for coming and being my company Aww. all the way here. Hey, Sam. You're like, don't worry. We're going to a podcast. We'll lay low. No one will know you're here. <laughs> my mazel tov is to my second cousin and his wife and their families for throwing an amazing wedding in Loudoun County, Virginia, last summer. Uh, his name is Max, and his lovely bride is Raina. Now, did you meet any interesting people at that wedding? I did. Um, Tell us about it. The guy from CNN. There were a couple guys from CNN. Um, uh, Max pointed out, when I was looking for Lisa Sandel, uh, they said, go look for the tall guy. You see that tall guy over there in the hat? He'll know where Lisa Sandel now, is. Now, just out of curiosity, this Max character and Reina, uh, at whose Shabbat dinner table did they meet? Oh, isn't that a coincidence? They met at yours. There you Wait, are. is this a plant? Is this an audience plant? We are a full-service podcast. Jews, they're just like us. We're a full-service <laughs> podcast. You think the Catholic podcasts give you, mar- give you spouses? They don't give you spouses. Hi, I'm Felicia Alderson. So one is to my daughter and new son-in-law who just got married the end of October. And um, they're back from the honeymoon. I didn't even ask them if she was pregnant yet, but it's coming. Good for you. Good. Hold on, do it now. (laughs) (laughs) And second is a mazel tough to um, Ivy and the board and to my sister, who I know is an integral part here, um, Carol Marcus-State who is an integral part of the JCC um, for all they do and making it the, the, the great JCC. place the to place. come to. Yeah. You know, it is our home, <laughs> and it's our home away from home, and we all know that. So thank you, guys. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Monet Gedza, and I'm a quintessential nomadic Jew. I come, I helm from Montgomery County, Sheltonham, and I've traveled from Houston, Missouri, Kansas City, Beshalom. Hello, I miss you guys. Anyway, when you guys, I had to give Wilmington a mazel because this is home. After COVID, we moved in 2020, my children and I moved back to the East Coast because I'm from Philly. And I couldn't, I was like, no, I'm not going to go to shul. You know, well, there was, everybody's like, you know, Bluetooth in it or whatever. You know, on the computer, it took me. A, it took me time. Of course, I joined the J before I decided to join Beth Shalom. But when I finally did, and there's a story why I always joke about joining around Sukkot because I was like, I cannot do high holidays. They'd be like, Oh, just another, you know. Right. Needless to say, Beth Shalom in the J in Wilmington, Delaware, is by far the greatest community I've ever been a member of. Wow. Hi, I'm Regina Alonzo, and first, my first mazel is to Andrea Wakefield from Mrs. Rubino's. She was at my bat mitzvah. Oh! <laughs> so, you know, I started her on this Jewish journey. Did she, did she cater it? <laughs> no, but she was danced with all the other seventh grade girls. Amazing. We were awesome. Yeah. Boys were kind of losers. Um, and my, my other mazel tov is to my husband, the only Jewish mushroom farmer outside of Israel. Um, wait, wait, do we, we, we will need to talk to you about do this. Do we know this? Has he is <laughs> who decided to spend this week in the Dutch Caribbean getting his uh, scuba certification instead of being here with me? But <laughs> okay, I'm still kind of proud of him. We have to talk because I have a major mushroom farming obsession. Well, the next time you come visit, Liel, I thought you were just gonna say we need to have him as a Jew of the week. Uh, we absolutely should, and we I also should go and, and be his apprentice. And be his apprentice right. and farm mushrooms. With him. Hello, sir. Psychology. Hi, I am Max Rosenberg. 
I have a mazel for my son and uh, daughter-in-law, Russell and Alex Rosenberg, who just had a baby girl uh, three weeks ago, but still just. Her name was Raina. <laughs> no, her name was Charlotte, which, by the way, oh. is a very good place to have another um, uh, podcast. Thank you. If you do that. And, a beautiful and also, I want to say thank you to Ivy and Joel Mermelstein for having a great pickleball court here. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Hilary Stiebel. So great to have you here. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Mazel tov to our community and to Russ and Michelle um, for bringing you here and being our honorees at the Blue Jean Ball. But I, I wanted to give a mazel tov also to um, Jacob and Sabrina Portnoy, uh, niece and nephew who had their B'nai Mitzvah last weekend. And um, also... Uh, heads up and shout out uh, to Congregation Beshalom, who will be doing our JuVC. Uh, it's coming back. It is the only one in America that I know of. It will be here on December 5th, uh, at December 4th at 5 p.m. Amazing. My name's Nicole. I work for the Jewish Federation of Delaware. Yes. The Jewish Federation of Delaware brought you this program this evening. And the Jewish Federation of Delaware is so happy to be a part of this community, and we love you all so much. We're so grateful you came. We're so grateful for everyone who showed up, and I am so grateful for my team at the Jewish Federation of Delaware. Thank you. Unorthodox is a production of Tablet Studios. The show is hosted by me, Mark Oppenheimer, along with Stephanie Butnick and Leah Leibowitz. We're produced and edited by Josh Cross, Robert Scaramucci, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team includes Courtney Hazlett, Tanya Singer, Sarah Fredman, Ader, Jerome Ruskay, and Sam Hacker. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and or Facebook. You can get our brand new swag at tabletstudios.com. The episode art is by Esther Werdiger. Our theme music is by Gollum, online at golemrocks.com. Mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. If you want to send us something via snail mail, write to P.O. Box 20079, New York, New York, 10001. Rabbinic supervision this week by the non-rabbi, but we're actually going to give him smicha right now. Now, Russell Silberglied, he's chair of the board of directors of the Jewish Federation of Delaware. He said his life was nothing without us. We're glad he found us. And we come to you live from Wilmington at the Jewish Federation of Delaware. Shalom, Delaware friends. Yay! Yay!